want to share with you today what may be the biggest leadership secret that I can share with you or that's out there. And I don't say because it's a secret and nobody knows about it. I think it's a secret because people don't realize the value that it adds to your leadership. And if you're first time with us today, we're just wrapping up a series today on the ups and downs of leadership and how that kind of plays out in, in, in our day-to-day life, no matter if you're leading a team or you're leading in school or you're, you're leading at the house or you're, you're, you're leading your children or you're leading massive amounts of people on the job. Wherever you are on the leadership spectrum, this one leadership principle is undoubtedly absolutely a must if you want to be able to be the most effective leader you could possibly be. I'm not trying to blow smoke to blow it up this big. I truly, truly, absolutely believe this. And I absolutely do not think that it is given enough recognition and enough play in the conversation around the table when it comes to leadership circles. I think what's What's most talked about among the leadership circles when it comes to how do you motivate people, how do you get people off of center, is, is it's your, 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 your paycheck. Or it's your title over their title because your title is bigger than their title, therefore they should do what you have to say. But it's this E thing. That if we were to tap into the E thing, this E thing, if we were to tap into it, you could be in the back of the pack. And you could be leaning at the front of the pack when your superior is wondering why are people listening more to you than they are to him or her? What is it about what you're doing in the back of the pack or the middle of the pack that, that yields better, better hearing, better response? It's because you've tapped into the E. And if you do the E well, again, I don't care what your title is. I don't care what power you have and what position you hold, you will be a person of influence. And that word E is an encourager. If you are an encourager at whatever level and wherever you are, you will have influence. People will come to you because you breathe life into them. You breathe life into a maybe sometimes hopeless situations. Encouragers give and receive all at the same time. An encourager steps up and they give of themselves and their words and their actions and their behaviors and whatever it is. They give of themselves so you think, well, how can they be receiving? Because whenever they see the light come on, when they see life come back into discouragement, when they see somebody who with low morale all of a sudden having the energy to go on and finish the task, then all of a sudden that breathes life into them. So as they give life, they're also receiving life. And if you're the opposite of that, if you're a discourager or you know discouragers, they just simply take and destroy. They just take and tear down. They just take and and beat down. They just take and take a person who maybe had great potential and great opportunity and they point out all the dark areas of their life and therefore they seem worthless and unable. One person said it like this, Discouragement is the dark room where the negative of failures are developed. Discouragement is the dark room where the negatives of failure are developed. And then all of a sudden that person who's discouraged through the images that are flashing in the PowerPoint of their mind is all of their failures and their mishaps and how they can't and how they shouldn't and how they need to change and, and not the opportunity before them. True, Kathy understand, understood this when talking to a group of, uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A, when talking to a group of young managers in training 
He said, listen, wherever you are, wherever, whatever store that you're, you're, you're managing, whatever you're about, you need to identify someone who needs encouragement and encourage them. One young manager in training said, how do I find the people who need encouragement out there? How do I know? People come in, master issues, master problems, hide from them. How do you know when someone needs encouragement? And he looked at the young manager and he says, look for someone who's breathing. They need encouragement. They may not say it on their face. They may not say it in their conduct. They may be able to mask it behind a a, a well-performed abilities on the job. But if they're breathing, they need encouragement. I want to take you to to the absolute prototype of encouragement today. I want to take you to the book of Acts. I want to take you to a man named Joseph. We find in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We'll read that in just a moment. We're actually going to read several verses. We're going to jump through the book of Acts, but we're not even going to hit all of the verses about this man named Joseph. Joseph was the first Hellenistic believer that we know of in Scripture. He was, um, he was uh, born in Cyprus, but he was, uh, so he was not a, a Jew, but at the same time he was, a, he was a Jewish believer. So he's a Hellenistic Jew is what they would call that. And so uh, he's the first one that's ever identified in, in Scripture who actually becomes a believer. Okay, he's the first believer who's a Hellenistic Jew. And so his name is Joseph, but he's not known by Joseph. In fact, this is the only time you'll find in Scripture his birth name given to him by his mother and father is ever mentioned. What he is most known for, what he is known for is what he does and the, the fact that he lives the E, and he is known for being the son of encouragement, which is given to him by his, in his nickname, Barnabas. Barnabas was more known for what he, how he lived his life than by the name that was given to him. He was more known by the way that he lived his life and interacted with people to the point that they renamed him. You're not just simply Joseph. There's a thousand and one Josephs out there. The way you live your life, Barnabas, is so simply amazing and empowering that we have got to call you something different. You are the son of encouragement. You are the the one who models it. You are the the epitome of this. Let me just say to you in this, that I think when we tap into being an E, being an encourager, we are tapping into the very heart of God. God is the ultimate encourager. I'm not just talking about whitewashing things. I'm talking about Him stepping in and bringing encouragement uh, into our lives. When you think about when Jesus leaves the earth, whenever He goes away, He says He's going to send to us a comforter. He's going to send a comforter to us. He's going to send an encourager to us. The, The very identity of the Holy Spirit is in part tied up in the fact that we have dwelling inside of us a a God who encourages us and brings comfort to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comforts. God is a God who comforts us. What does it take to be an E? What does it take to be a Barnabas? Because I'll tell you this, and I don't have time to fully develop it. I'm going to let you do your own homework on the side. But I dare say that probably one of the most influential persons in all of the New Testament that gets very little playtime, if you will, that influenced the greatest leaders that would shape the church and write most of the Scriptures was Barnabas. And he didn't get it necessarily because of his title. 
You never know what his title is. He was never voted in as one of the seven early excuse me, deacons, if you will, in Acts chapter 6. But we don't ever know that his title even meant anything. His position meant anything. We just know that way he lived his life, that's what meant something. And he lived his life as an encourager. You and I do not have to worry about the roles and the positions and the titles that we hold if we just take on the role of an encourager. What does that look like? How do do we become an encourager? And again, if you look through the book of Acts, you'll find story after story, not long stories, like just snippets, snippets of little stories, of little parts. In fact, I listed out five different acts that I found in the life of Barnabas that at least five, if not six, that you can look at Barnabas' life and you can see this is how he encouraged. Five, six different ways that he was an encourager. I, can't, I don't have time to go through all of them, so let me just give you three of them today. Three roles that I think Barnabas models for us that we can live out in our own life. One is he was a load lifter. The first role that he took on was he was a load lifter. Again, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 35, excuse me, verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, which we've gone through all of verse 36 in the background. Now verse 37 is important. He sold a field that belonged to him. And he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You've got to understand the context in which we're dealing with in the early church. The context is, is that you have a rogue group of Jewish followers of Jesus. They're brand new in the Christian faith. They're being persecuted by Rome and persecuted by the Jews. They're persecuted and pressed down, shaken together, and just absolutely being beat up. Rome owned the land. The Jewish Hebrew people did not own the land. But they're because of this... Hellenistic Jew that was in in the mix there for a while who becomes a believer, he was actually a landowner. For all we know, he was one of the few landowners in the early church. The early church was struggling to make it. There were needs that abound. Again, read Acts chapter 6. People were going hungry. There were needs that were out there. People were being neglected. There were needs that were not being met. The early church had ample opportunity, but very few resources. Ample opportunity, but very few resources. So what happens is Barnabas steps into the scene and he says, Hey, listen, I've got some land over here. Going to build my retirement home on it? I don't know. Going to harvest it? I don't know. Whatever he was doing with that land, it was there. But he saw that there was a greater need over there in God's work. And so what he did is he sold the land and he took it. He took the resources and he brought them and he laid them at the apostles' feet. He was a load lifter. When nobody else could step up at that time at the level and the magnitude to meet the needs of that day, all of a sudden they needed that, that resource. And listen, ministry that costs nothing typically accomplishes nothing. There's always a price tag involved. And Barnabas understood that and Barnabas steps up and he makes something available through his own resources. He didn't give a tithe. He gave more than a tithe. People don't know what tithe is. They come to that word and they see tithy. He didn't give a tithy either. All right? A tithy, a tithe. He didn't tip God. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He sold the land. He gave it all. That's significant 
gracious, gregarious, generous giving. That's exactly what you see in the life of Barnabas here. Reading the book Crazy Love challenges us to be radical crazy givers in our life. This is one of the statements that Francis Chan made. He said, pride tells you that you've sacrificed more than others. Fear tells you it's time to worry about your future, about the future. Friends say you've given enough, that it's someone else's turn. But Jesus says to keep on and you will see more of God. See, we sometimes come to God and we wonder how little can I give and get by with and feel good about myself whenever what you find in Barnabas as an encourager, as a, as a load lifter, he is the one that literally will sell tracts of land and give it to the apostles' feet to be used in ministry wherever there's a need. I think, again, when you look at the life of Barnabas, you see a beautiful reflection of the life of God Almighty. Not only is God a comforter at His very core, and Barnabas is an encourager at His very core, but you also see that playing out in His giving because as generous and gregarious and gracious as He is in His giving patterns, you also see the very same thing in God. John chapter 1, verse 17, every perfect gift is from above. There's nothing that you and I can state claim to. There's no home. There's no property. There's no fame. There's no, there's no privilege. There's, there's nothing. There's no relationship. But we can't and we should pause in our life and just say thank you, Almighty God. And then just as we say thank you, we must turn right around and say, God, Why? Why did you bless me with this, with that, with, with this job, with this career, with this influence? Why did you bless me with these resources and these talents and these skills? Why, God? I mean, it's not the normal question when I say thank you and go right on with our hedonistic lifestyles. But maybe, oh, God has just blessed us so that we could be a blessing to others. So that we could be a load lifter in other people's lives. Because the needs... Nine times out of ten outweigh the resources before us. I thank God that we are, have a giving church. When the offering baskets are plastered or you give online or whatever it may be, and I'll make a commitment to you that we are constantly looking at the highest value, highest impact, and with utmost integrity on everything that you give. Everything that you give. In fact, we want to empower you to live a lifestyle of giving way beyond the four walls of this church. We want to be a part of your process in becoming an encourager. So today, we're going to give $6,000 away. Across at these tables are envelopes with $10 in each one of them. We took the average of our congregation on Sunday morning and we're made it available for guests and members alike. To come during our response time and to take one of these envelopes. And to, to take this $10, you think, what's $10? What can you do with $10? You know what? Let it be a seed of what we can do. You see, I want you to learn so many things from this. This $10 that, I, that we want to make available to you today to go out and give is, is one of those things that we want you to think creatively. 
We want you to, to, to look into your little circle of influence. We want to start creating a, a spirit, an attitude, a movement, if you will, of Barnabases that make up Grace Point Church. That that's a load-lifting church. And, and, and that you are the church, and so therefore you're the load-lifter. So you'll take this card and, and you'll make that, that commitment to, 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 to use it, to invest it into somebody else's life. And you think, what can you do with that? You might identify this week right now five different people that you could that you don't need encouragement. You might go to the store and buy buy it probably costs two dollars. You might buy five cards, two dollars a card, and just take the afternoon and write on those cards letters and words of encouragement to somebody that needs encouragement. You might pick up flowers for someone who. That's their love language is flowers. Okay, don't bring me flowers, okay? But uh, that's their love language. They need flowers. And you could brighten their day if you took them just some flowers. And you just took, and not only did you invest it in the flowers, but then you took them literally to them and sat down with them and gave them another resource of yourself, and that's your time and your ears. And just sit there and listen and just sit there and cry with and just sit there and pray with and just be a blessing to them. Just encourage them. Maybe this week you'll drive through the drive through at some restaurant and you will be in line with everybody else and you'll be sitting there and uh, you're paying for your meal and you pay for your meal, but then you'll say, you know what, the person behind me, how much is their ticket? Eight dollars. You just turn right around and you pay for theirs. And you say, listen, they don't know me, I don't know them, I'm going to drive off and I don't want them to know who I am, but I just want them to know that, that God loves them. And I wanted to show God's love in a practical way. What could you do with $10? See, sometimes it's not the magnitude. Sometimes it's the time and the energy and the effort that we put forward to what God gives us. Maybe it's going out with a friend for lunch. Maybe it's going to to a bookstore and finding a great book for somebody who's really discouraged. And you find that book for them and then you write in the front of that book, here's a book that I think would really add value to your circumstances. And you write in that book and you give that to them. Watch out, there's a bunch of wax out there too. You don't want to get every book on on the shelf, all right? If you need help, email me and we'll talk about the topic and I'll help you find a good book. But I just want us to become Barnabases. This is for you. We are, we're giving it to you, not to put in your wallet, not to put in the bank. We're giving it to put in your hands so that you will go out and be an encourager. We could spend our money frivolously. We can hoard it fearfully. Or we could give it in generosity. Think about it. Are you a load lifter today? Number two. Are you a friend maker today? Be turning over to Acts chapter 9. A friend maker today. A load lifter means you're going to have to pour in some of your resources, some of your time, some of your talents, some of your finances necessarily at times. It could be any number of things. But are you a load lifter? Number two, are you a friend maker? Barnabas was, uh, again, a friend maker. He helped connect the dots. In, in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, we find whenever Saul first becomes a believer. And as he becomes a believer, he's in Damascus, and they have found out that he's a believer, and he is going to have to escape for his life, literally run for his life. And, and as he's putting his life on the line, he's actually lowered down in a basket. Now, that is either a really big basket or he's a really little guy. 
I don't know which one it was, but they, they found, he found out that they were about to, to take his life, and this is what happened. So let's begin reading in verse 23 of, uh, of chapter 9. It says this, And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by the night and they let him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, now he had never been to Jerusalem. He's been in Damascus this whole time. When he comes to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the place that he was killing people. Jerusalem was the place where he oversaw Stephen stoning. So the last words the, the, the church in Jerusalem had heard is that, that Saul is a killer of Christians. Now what happens? And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. But they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, I love it. But the son of encouragement steps on the scene. He's the hero of the day. He took him and he brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how on the road that he had seen the Lord and he spoke to him and how on Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. What had happened is Paul was saved. His life was changed. And all of a sudden he comes into the church in Jerusalem and they're scared to death. They're all going to be annihilated right there. Stoned right there. But Barnabas steps up. We need Barnabases in our church. We need people in our church that will be Barnabases and it will help connect the dots. What did Barnabas do? Notice that he said he took him in. He took him in. It says it right there if you underscore it in verse 27. But Barnabas took him. He brought him into his life. He made space in his space for his space. There was a place in his life that he would make available. I will stand with you. I I will walk with you. I will be with you. He took him. He put his arm around him. Then what else did he do? Then he says he brought him. Listen, you're not going to have to go alone, Barnabas. I'm going to go with you. You're not going to have to go alone. I'm going to stand with you. But then I love it even further is that he even declared to them he spoke up for him. You know what we need in our church? We have this hugs ministry. We need people who will be a part of a hugs ministry. But you know what? Not carrying an official title. I want to emphasize that from the very beginning of my message. It's not about a title. It's about a lifestyle. That they truly just take it on themselves that they are going to be the center of greeting and making people feel encouraged and more. And listen, there may be people who will come into this church someday, hopefully today, hopefully right here, right now, that when you look at them, you think, oh my goodness, how in the world, what are they doing here? That we will be the but Barnabases and that we will bring them in. We will take them in. We will bring them in and we will speak for them. We will befriend them when nobody else is befriending. When everybody else is running the other direction, we will be the one who will step up for them. You've got to realize that 70% 70% of Americans suffer from chronic loneliness. 70% of people suffer from chronic loneliness. We need people who will be what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality to one another. 
means I'm going to step up, go out of my way, and I'm going to bring people in. I'm going to speak for them. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring them into my space and make room in my space for them. Now, what do we do this? We say own your zone. I don't know. How many of y'all have heard own your zone phrase before? Raise your hand. All right. Own your zone is where we encourage every one of you when you come in every single day. Every single Sunday, as you live out your life, own your zone. That means ten foot around you, wherever you are, seats in front of you, behind you. You may know them. They may have been coming since the day we started the church. It doesn't matter. Go own your zone. If they're in your zone, you get to know them. All right? That is whenever we become Barnabases. We own our zone. We know them. They know us. We stand with them. We bring them. It's, it's, it's a connectedness. I also want to say that that's inside this building. But you know what? We need to be outside this building connected. We need to be connected. And we have, again, I want to give another example of how we have environments and we want to provide environments for you to connect with other people. Body life groups is where we provide environments for connectivity, environments for community, environments for you to get to know people, environments for you to be a maker of friends. Exactly what Barnabas was with strange and estranged Saul. The problem is, is that we don't make space in our space for their space. We've got to make space in our schedules, make space in our homes, make space in our relationships for people that we don't know who may be far from God, may be struggling in their faith and in their, and in their life. Here's a life principle for you. Having friends is different than being friendly. Having friends is different than being friendly. Chew on that one for a while. I think even Corilla DeVille had some friends out there. Alright? Having friends is one thing. Being friendly is a totally different thing. That means I'm going across. I'm owning my zone. I'm inviting people into my home. I am making room in my life for other people. Barnabas, I love that statement, but Barnabas. He took him in. He brought him in. He declared for him. That is a friend maker kind of person. Robert Fulger, maybe you read his book, All You Really Need to Know You Learned in Kindergarten. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. He makes a statement in there, thinking about the rules of the life that you learn as a, as a child. He makes a statement. He says, it sounds similar to, to what you would hear in, in kindergarten. But he says it for us grown-ups. He says, when you go out into the world, watch out, hold hands, and stick together. What you're taught in kindergarten, when you cross the street, watch out, hold hands, and stick together. If we would take that mentality about our life and our faith, watch out, you go out into this world, stick together, hold hands. That's what it means to be a body of believers. You need to think about today when you leave out of here, stopping by one of these tables and finding your group that you can connect in and be in community with. You're alone in this world, and you will be lonely in this world if you don't have that connectivity. Number three. And again, I can list three more, but let's stop here. He was a people developer. He was a load lifter. He was a friend maker. He was a people developer. When you look on in chapter 15, you wish that everything could just be sweet among the Christians. 
Everything could just go smoothly among believers. But it doesn't always. Even well-intentioned people, even good people, even godly people like a Paul and a Barnabas can have contentious relationships. And that's exactly what happened. They had finished a missionary journey and their first missionary journey, you find in Scriptures Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was kind of the leader and and Paul was kind of the apprentice. And then the second tour comes along and the discussion about who's going to go on the trip and who's not going to go on the trip. And Barnabas steps up and he says, I want to bring John Mark with me. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. But John Mark wasn't quite up to par. I don't know if he missed his mama. I don't know what it was about the first trip, but he got a little cold feet and somewhere on the trip he leaves them high and dry, Paul and Barnabas, and he goes back to mama and he has to talk to mama about his situation. And Paul, being a very high D personality, if you know what that is, he is, he is, he is like, just, no, no, there's no room at the table for John Mark. There's no space on this trip for John Mark. Barnabas says, yes, there is space. Yes, there is. There's potential. I see things in him. Paul was insistent, no, absolutely not. There's no room for him. Barnabas, being a son of encouragement, says, no, no, no. It may be in the shed, but I think we can put it in the trophy case. Let's invest in John Mark. Don't throw in the towel on John Mark. So we pick up the story in chapter six, chapter 15, verse 36. It says, And after some days, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we had proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought the best not to take them, uh, take with them one who had withdrawn, that means cried his way home, uh, from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed having been commanded the brothers uh, uh, to the grace of the Lord. Here it is. They, it kind of falls apart. This great duo, this, this Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul kind of duo, has been a beautiful thing. It's been awesome. It's been powerful. The first missionary journey produced all these great results. All of a sudden it falls apart. And Barnabas takes the loser, the quitter, the, the weak-kneed one, John Mark, and Paul takes Silas. Whatever happens to John Mark, poor John Mark, rejected, turned away, Whatever happens to him? Well, whenever you pick up your Bible tomorrow morning and you open it up and you're looking for a place to read, you might open to the book of Mark because it was John Mark who penned those words. He wrote one of the Gospels that records the stories of Christ. In fact, many people believe that it was John Mark was the first Gospel written on which Matthew, Luke, and John would then use as the template to write all their Gospel accounts. It's amazing that John Mark, according to the words of Peter most likely, is the one who is writing the Scriptures. The one whom Paul had given up on, but the one in whom Barnabas had said, no, 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 let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's still potential. There's still hope. There's still opportunity for John Mark. 
The story doesn't end there, though. Whatever happens to John, Mark, and Paul? beautiful thing happens in the very last part of, of Paul's life. The very last book, the very last letter that he wrote, in the very last chapter that he wrote, you find just a few references there to a number of people. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this. He says, get here as fast as you can. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It says, get here as fast as you can. Demas, uh, uh, chasing fads, went off to Thessalonica and left me here. All right? That other word there went to Galatia. That guy did. He bailed on him. Titus and, and, and Dalami, uh, uh, in that place. And, and Luke is the only one here with me. All right? Also, what does it say? Bring Mark with you. He'll be my right-hand man. And every scholar that I've ever read will tell you that that mark in which Paul is writing about, they said, that mark that will be my right-hand man is the John mark that Paul gave up on, but Barnabas didn't. Who in your life are you ready to throw in the towel on? But who in your life truly needs you to step up and be a friend to them? When you look at, first, when you look at this story of Barnabas as a leader, and again, I don't have time to even point out all the ways that he led the church, how he was represented from Jerusalem church, the church in Antioch. I don't have time to develop all of that. And when Barnabas spoke, people listened. He was a leader, but I'll tell you this, he was a leader not because of a position. We don't know what his position was, not because of a title. We don't know if he had, even had a title. He was a leader because he was an encourager. When you look at him, whether it's his resources or it's his friendship, it's his name, or if it's investing of his life, he was an encourager of people. And I close with a story of just to kind of remind us of, of Jesus. Again, I say that if we're going to reflect Jesus, you see it. If we're going to reflect God, you see it in the Holy Spirit, you see it in Jesus. Whenever Jesus was, was sitting on the well, the disciples had gone into, in, into town to get some food. They traveled all day. He was tired. It even says in Scripture that Jesus was tired. And he sits there and he waits by the well of a woman who's had multiple husbands and is shacking up with somebody now that's not even her husband. And he sits there and talks to this Samaritan woman. And the division between, between a Jew and a Samaritan was so deep and so wide and so harsh and so ungodly. Uh, I, I can't even, again, describe it to you. But yet Jesus begins to de- befriend her. They engage in a conversation, make a long story short. She becomes evidently a believer to the point that she goes back to town and brings her friends and her families with her. When the disciples get back to the campsite and they find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, they can't believe it. You know what I'm saying? I want to say this. Because He spoke into her life. Jesus spoke into the Samaritan woman's life. And He was a load lifter. He spoke into her life and He befriended her when nobody else would befriend her. He he became a part of her story to the point that she had become a person, a witness, a declaration that people would follow to the life of Jesus. Exactly the template if you look in the life of Barnabas. You may be here today and you may say, I'm washed up, I'm wasted. I want to say to you this. Jesus sees beautiful potential in you. 
Jesus wants to do a beautiful work in, through, and around you. I want to say to any of y'all in this room today who already knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He wants to use you to be Barnabases in this world. And during our time of response, I hope that you will make the commitment today to be a blessing. I want you to come. If you feel led, and we'll make the commitment to using these resources and to invest them in other people's life, not for your wallet, not for your bank, but for your hands to be used in the community, then you come grab one of these envelopes. But I also want to challenge anybody here today who doesn't know Christ and doesn't know the encouragement that Jesus Christ can give, will you come? Would you come? I'll be right here on the front row. Let's pray together. Father God, we bow before you now. We thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the life of Barnabas. But more than I see the life of Barnabas, I see the life of your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, working in him. More than just seeing the work of the comforting, encouraging work of of the Holy Spirit, I see in him the life of Jesus. And so, Lord, make us little Barnabases. Make us in this world people who will bring encouragement to dark lives, to hopeless circumstances. And Lord, if it's as little as a $10 investment into people's life, or if it's time and energy and effort, Lord, help us to be a blessing. Help us to be a blessing. Lord, you've blessed us. If anybody doesn't know you, Lord, today, I would pray today that they would give their life to following the one who wants to comfort them at their very core, wants to heal them at the darkest part of their life, wants to forgive them of the sinful, horrible thoughts, attitude, actions that that we've all committed in our lives. Lord, let this be a time of blessing. In Jesus' name.